Thank you for listening to Pastor Sean's Bible Study Teaching Podcast from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. This lesson was recorded during our Wednesday night adult seminars. For more information on Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Okay, so I know that it's been really, really difficult the past three weeks. Romans 9, 10, 11, I told you, are some of the hardest parts of the New Testament and in the book of Romans. So next week, we get to practical Christian living and we get out of all the deep theology. And so, but we got to finish uh, chapter 11. And so Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 are all one big thought of Paul and it really addresses the Jewish people um, because in chapter 9, Paul argued that God's word had not failed because what was the issue? All these ethnic Jews were not trusting in Christ for salvation, but the Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ. And so Paul's argument in chapter 9 is just because you're an ethnic Jew doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically saved. Okay, just just your, your heritage, your lineage does not mean that you're saved. And also, Paul went on to say, actually, God makes a sovereign choice in salvation in who He predestines to be saved. So chapter 9 was all about God's sovereignty in salvation. Then we get to chapter 10, and it's almost like Paul shifts gears and says, no, it's human responsibility. You've got to call upon the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How are they going to be saved unless they've, they've heard the gospel? And so the reason why the Jews aren't coming to faith in Christ in chapter 10 is because they're refusing to come to faith in Christ. So in chapter 9, they're not coming to faith in Christ because they're not chosen. In chapter 10, the reason they're not coming to Christ is because they're choosing not to come to Christ. And I said last week you've got to reconcile those two truths. So here's the big question. If Jewish people during Paul's day are not coming to faith in Christ and the Gentiles are, is this going to last forever? Does this mean that like there's really no hope for the Jews or that there's not going to be a salvation of Jews? And so Paul is going to address this question in chapter 11. So in chapter 11, 1 through 10... Paul's question is, can any Jews be saved at all? Because let's go back to the end of chapter 10. At the end of chapter 10, Paul says they've heard the gospel and they understood the gospel. So there's no excuse for them not to understand and hear and respond to the gospel. But if you look at the last verse of chapter 21... God says, all day long I've held out my hand to a disobedient and contrary or stubborn people. So the Jews are stubborn. They're not coming to faith in Christ. They're not trusting Jesus for salvation. So in chapter 11, the question becomes, okay, is this permanent? Are the Jews just out of luck altogether and they're not going to come to faith in Christ? So chapter 11, 1 through 10 Here's the question that Paul asks. If the Jews of Paul's day were stubborn and refused to come to faith in Christ, are they rejected forever? That's the question Paul asks. Are they no longer God's chosen people? Can, can Jews be saved at all? So 
That's the question Paul brings up in Romans chapter 11 is what's the, what's the future salvation look like of, of the Jewish people, ethnic Jewish people? So let's read together uh, Romans chapter 11 verses 1 through 10 and see how Paul um, addresses this question. I ask then, has God rejected His people? There, there's the question. Has God rejected His people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Okay, so Paul's question in verse 1 is, has God rejected his people? And what's his answer? By no means. What's he say? Look at me, okay? I am, not me personally, I'm not Jewish. I'm, yeah, you can probably tell I'm not Jewish. But Paul says, look at me. I'm an Israelite. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. If you want proof that God has not rejected His people, just look at me because I am an Israelite who has trusted Christ for salvation. It's just that in Paul's day, there's not very many ethnic Jews like Paul coming to faith in Christ, the way that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people are. And so in Paul's day, when he goes out on these missionary journeys, you remember what happens when Paul like goes into, like when you read the book of Acts, where does Paul normally go first on his missionary journeys? You guys remember? He goes to the synagogue. Now, why does he go to the synagogue first? Because at least the Jewish people have some background. They have the Old Testament. They have the prophecies about the Messiah. Paul is a Jew. He's got a connection. So he goes to the synagogue first, and he begins to use the Old Testament to preach about Jesus showing how all the Old Testament points to Jesus. And what usually happens when Paul goes into a town and goes to the synagogue? Is he well-received? He usually gets, gets thrown out. There's a riot. Usually when I say when Paul goes into a town, two things happen, either riot or revival. Okay, people get upset or people get saved. So what does Paul do? Paul says, okay, the Jews are not receiving the message. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And what happens when he goes to the Gentiles? They're accepting the message like crazy, and they're coming to faith in Christ. And so... Paul says, listen, just because you're seeing a massive number of Gentiles coming to faith in Christ and a small number of Jews coming to faith in Christ does not mean that God has forsaken the Jewish people. Look at what he says in verse 2. God has not rejected the people whom he foreknew. God has not rejected those people. Okay, so this, this is some, Paul's going to again going to use a lot of quotations from the Old Testament to support his ideas. So Psalm 94, 14, For the Lord will not forsake His people. He will not abandon His heritage. The God will not forsake His people. 1 Samuel 12, 22, For the Lord will not forsake His people. 
for his great name, for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Okay, Amos 3 2. You only, he's talking Israel, you only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. God has foreknown, God has set his love upon Israel. They're his chosen people. And so the question becomes, okay, what does this mean? How does God's choosing and promises to the Old Testament people, what does that mean for their salvation during Paul's day? And what does that mean for salvation in the future of ethnic Jewish people? And so here's a point that we need to fully understand that's going to help you understand Romans chapter 11. If you don't get this... It's going to be very difficult to understand what Paul says. Here's his point. God chose ethnic Israel corporately to be his people. Would you agree with that in the Old Testament? But that does not guarantee the salvation of every single Israelite. Just because you're ethnically Jewish, and Paul argued this back in chapter 9, doesn't automatically mean you're saved. Okay. So during Paul's day, what's going on? Paul says, at the time that I'm writing this, the reason why you're not seeing a lot of Jews come to faith in Christ is because at, the, at Paul's point in time, there's a remnant. Now, what does the word rem, remnant mean? Chosen few. Chosen few, a small few. And so Paul here goes back to the story of Elijah. Now, do you guys remember the story of Elijah? He says there, what does the scripture say about Elijah? Okay, so what do we know about Elijah? Elijah was one of the greatest prophets in Israel. And he prophesied against King Ahab. And who was King Ahab's wife? Jezebel. And they slaughtered a bunch of prophets. And so Elijah gets scared. And he decides to run for the hills. And he goes and he hides out in the wilderness and says, I'm the only one left, God. I'm the only one left. So let's just jump out. Since, since Paul alludes to 1 Kings, let's just read 1 Kings and, and see what he alludes to. So it's fun to go back in the Old Testament and, and read these stories that, that they allude to. So let's jump out of Romans for just a moment and go to 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 through 8. And let's just read the story that Paul refers to because you may not be familiar with the story. In chapter 18... In chapter 18, Elijah confronts Ahab. Then in the second half of chapter 18, you had the the showdown on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. Remember that where God calls down, or Elijah calls down fire and, and all that kind of stuff? Well, at that point, Jezebel is not real happy. So she hunts him down. So let's go to, to um, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 8. Everybody there? Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this day, time tomorrow. He was afraid. He rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. 
And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down. And the angel of the Lord came to him a second time, touched him, and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went into the strength of that, of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Okay, so he goes to the mountain of God, which is Mount Sinai, and he's waiting, he's waiting, and God appears to him. And then um, if you go down to um, verse 18, God says, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to, down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So Elijah is complaining that he's the only one left. I'm the only one left in Israel that, that obeys you, that believes you, God. And what does God say? That's not true, Elijah. I've reserved for myself a remnant of 7,000 people. Okay. So the whole nation may be going crazy and following Jezebel and Ahab, but I have reserved for myself a remnant, a, a chosen group of people, 7,000 during the time of Elijah. And Paul goes on to make the analogy. Let's, let's go back to Romans now. Paul says, okay, in the same way that God kept for himself a small number, 7,000 is not a lot in Israel, is it? Compared to probably how many people were living there during the time. We don't know how many were living during the time, but 7,000 is not a very big number. I mean, think about Sterling. That's half the size of our town. Isn't it a little, little, little less than half? Okay. So, verse 5, so too at the present time, okay, at the present time of Paul's writing this, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Okay. The reason that there's only a small number of Jews coming to faith in Christ during Paul's time is because that's the way God has has set it up to operate during Paul's time. There's only a small number coming to faith because that's how God ordained it. There's a chosen remnant, a small number during Paul's time that are coming to faith in Christ. Okay? And how are they chosen? How are they coming? They're chosen by grace. Verse 6, if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Okay, so here's the question. How is anybody saved, Jew or Gentile? By grace grace. Okay, so Paul would say, okay, Gentiles are predestined, chosen, called, and saved by grace alone in Christ. Jews are predestined, chosen, called, and saved by grace alone in Christ. Again, ethnicity does not guarantee salvation, but God's sovereign choice by grace. So God says, listen, the reason there's not that many ethnically Jewish people coming to faith in Christ during Paul's time is because that's the way God set it up. He's only chosen a small number to come to faith during Paul's time and maybe even during our time now. We'll get to that in just a moment. But if they're going to come to faith, it's going to be by grace. Because notice, what does Paul say there in verse 6? If, but if by grace it's no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. Okay, grace would no longer be grace. So let's ask the question. Okay, I'm going to ask the question. It's a weird question, but I think you'll understand it. What makes grace grace? What makes grace grace and not not grace? 
let me ask you some questions to help us understand grace. Because Paul says, this choosing is based upon... So if God's going to choose a Jew or a Gentile to be saved, it's always going to be based on grace, not on works. So let's just ask the question, is God obligated, obligated to save anybody? If God were obligated, would that be grace? No, okay. Does God have to choose everyone? Do our works somehow merit God's favor? Does God have absolute freedom to show mercy to whom He wants to show mercy? So there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. Grace, by its very definition, has to be free. If you had to work for grace, it would no longer be grace. And Paul argues this back in Romans chapter 4. Let's just go back to Romans 4. Paul's already addressed this, but let's just go back and read it again. He's talking about justification by faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 3, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, and here's the point, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as is due. Okay. Everybody here, hopefully whether you work today or you work this week, or you, somehow when you worked, what did you get? Did you get a paycheck? Okay. Anybody here want to work for free without a paycheck? Maybe, but you expect to work. What happens when you work? You expect to get paid because you worked. Okay? That's the way it works when you work. You work, you get a wage. And somebody is calling me. I thought I had my phone on silent. Weird. Nope, I can't answer you right now. Um, Look at verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justified the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. How does salvation come? By works or by believing? By believing. So grace is something that God gives freely. Now, I'm going to challenge your thinking here tonight. And I want you to think about grace for a moment. I'm 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 just going to play a game here with you and see if you agree with me or not. You don't have to agree with me. Some people view grace as something God offers that you can accept or reject. God offers grace. You can accept the grace. You can reject the grace. What I think grace is, and what I think that I don't necessarily believe that's all the way true. What I think, when when God shows grace, it's actually a sovereign act of God whereby He chooses to actually show that grace to you. It's actually a grace that does something to you. It actually changes you. It actually draws you to Christ. It, It actually grants life. And so, if this remnant is chosen upon grace... Was there anything in these Jewish people that made God choose them as the remnant? Good works or bad works? What does he say there? You could say, okay, God looked down the corridors of time and saw that they were going to trust in him, and based upon that, God chose them by grace. But that would be a work, wouldn't it, that God saw? So here's the question. Jew or Gentile... Does God elect or choose based upon what He sees one day we will do when grace is offered? 
In other words, does God foresee our faith and then predestine us based on what He sees? The Arminian view? Or does God predestine based upon His good pleasure and actually grants us the faith to believe because we would never believe unless He gave us the gift of faith? Okay? So Paul says the reason that there's not a lot of Jews coming to faith during his time is because in God's sovereign plan, he has only chosen a remnant by grace. And the, the word remnant by its very definition means a small number. Now, it's not a, we're not going to make the parallel and say there's only 7,000 Jews saved during Paul's time. That was the number in the Old Testament that God had reserved during Elijah's time. He doesn't give the number. We just know it's a smaller number. Because the people during Paul's day are looking around saying, man, these Gentiles are coming to faith like crazy, and the Jews, they're, they're rejecting it. Okay? Now, this is where it gets a little bit more difficult to pill to swallow. Because during God's sovereign plan, He's chosen a remnant by grace. Okay, so let's just ask the question. Let's take Gentiles out of the picture. Out of all the Jews during Paul's day... We know there's one group, right? What's the one group he's already given us? What's the, what's the name of that group? The remnant. Okay? So the definition of a remnant by definition means a small number. So what would you say, what word would you use for the, the remainder? The rest. Okay? The rest or the remaining? Okay? So, which is the larger group, the remnant or the rest of the Jews? Okay, so this is a large number, right? We don't know the fixed number. This is a smaller number out of ethnic Jews during Paul's day. So, you've got a small remnant chosen by grace and you have the rest. Okay, the question becomes, okay, what's the deal with the rest? What's going on with them? And you may not like Paul's answer, but we have to read what he says. Okay? The remnant, so look at what he says there in verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. What was, what was Israel seeking? What? Messiah, a right standing with God, acceptance. Okay? The elect obtained it. Who found Christ? The remnant, what happened to the rest? The rest were hardened or blinded. Okay, so the remnant during Paul's day, the elect Jews of Paul's day did obtain a right standing with God through faith alone in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. But what about the rest during Paul's day? Why are they not coming to faith in Jesus? And here's what Paul's answer is. You may not like it. God hardened them. Now, what in the world does that mean? God hardened them. Well, he quotes some Old Testament passages to show us what it means for God to judicious, judiciously or in some type of way harden the Jews from what? 
If you're hardened or blinded or callous, what are, what are you not able to do? Believe or see or trust in the Messiah. Okay? So Deuteronomy 29.4, Paul quotes, But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Who gave them the spirit of stupor? God did. So God is actively preventing the rest of the Jews from coming to faith in Christ. Now, you may not like that, but it says right there, God is hardening them. Okay, Isaiah 29.10, For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your head, the seers. So, during Paul's day, there are two groups of ethnic Jews. There is a small remnant. So who would be included in the remnant? Okay, so you'd have Paul and pretty much all the Jewish apostles and the Jewish, those Jewish Christians that are coming to faith in Christ, a very small number. The rest are not coming to faith in Christ, a large number. And Paul's answer is the reason they're not coming to faith in Christ is because God has hardened them, God has blinded them, God is preventing them from seeing their Messiah. Okay, it goes back to that question again. That doesn't sound fair. Well, Paul doesn't explain the fairness or non-fairness of it. He just says this is what God has done. Okay? So we got to deal with this. Now, here's the question that verses 11 through 15 answers. Because you may say, wait a minute. If God has hardened the rest of the Jews, and there's only a small number, it leads you to ask a question. So here's the question that, that the, verses 11 through 15, Paul answers. Okay, so here, look, let, let's read this. At the time of Paul's writing... He says, at this present time, there are two groups chosen. There's two groups of ethnic Jews. I've written this on the board. I've drawn this. One is a remnant, a small number of individual Jews chosen by grace to be saved. Second group is the rest, a large number of individual Jews hardened by God in blindness. So here's the question that you may be asking. And Paul, if you're a Jew reading this during Paul's time, and your friends and family aren't coming to faith in Christ, the question you've got to ask is, is this hardening permanent? Or is there hope for salvation of the Jews in the future? Is this hardening that God has placed upon the rest, is that a permanent? Like the Jews have no choice. Like it's done. There's only going to be a small number of Jews. The rest are hardened. What's the hope of them? And here's the answer Paul gives. No, that blinding, that hardening is not permanent. At the end of the age, and again, we don't know when that is, God will remove this hardening and there will be a great number of ethnic Jews saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, one thing we have to address here is that if you're a Gentile reading this, or you're a Gentile in the mixed church in Rome, you may have a little bit of a pride issue going on. Because what are you thinking? Well, those Jews are the 
supposedly the chosen people of God, but look at us Gentiles, we're coming to faith like crazy. So, you know, God must have some special favor on us as Gentiles because obviously those Jews aren't coming to faith in Christ. So we, we're all that. I'm on the Gentile team. And Paul says, wait, time out. Time out. <laughs> Why did God choose you Gentiles? Was it because you were all that? No, don't ever be prideful. Okay, so why is God doing this? Why, why is God doing this? Let's read verses 11 through 15 and find out why God is doing this. Why is God hardening a large number of Jews for a long period of time? Again, we may not like what God is doing, but we can't argue with what Paul tells us God is doing. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's just read it. Verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they may, that they might fall? Okay, did they stumble that they might fall? Like, is this a permanent thing that's going to be going on forever? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, the Jews' trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass, the Jews, means riches for the world, and if their failure, the Jews, means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion or the fullness mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Okay. Paul says, listen, here's God's plan, whether we like it or not. God's purpose in hardening these Jews and spending a lot of time going to the Gentiles is so that the Jews would become jealous. There would be some type of attitude in the Jews saying, now wait a minute, God. If we're your chosen people, then why are you spending all your time saving the Gentiles and not paying attention to us? But notice what Paul says there in verse 12. It's a very important term. I don't, know what, I don't know how your Bible translates it, but it says, how much more will their full inclusion mean? The full inclusion or the fullness of the Jews. What does Paul mean by the full inclusion of Israel? Okay. At the time of Paul's writing, there's a small remnant chosen by grace. In the future, there will be a large number of individual Jews who will be saved. And at that time, on God's timetable, there will be the full number of Jews who were ordained to be saved will be saved. Okay? So here's God's sovereign plan. This is what Paul says. I'm just going to summarize it for you. During Paul's time, a small number of Jews chosen by grace have come to faith in Christ. He calls them a remnant chosen by grace. The rest, that other group, God has hardened in their blindness to Jesus as their Messiah. Okay, what, what's happening during this blinding, this hardening? Well, as a result, Gentiles, those who are not God's quote-unquote chosen people, are coming to faith in mass numbers. 
The purpose of this whole scheme is to make the Jews jealous and wonder if God had abandoned them. That's God's plan, whether we like it or not. And let's just stop. Who's doing all the action here? God. God's choosing, God's hardening, God's showing grace, God's saving. It's not by works, it's by grace. So, again, you got to come to grips. I keep saying Romans 19, 11 is not so much it's hard to understand, it's sometimes hard to accept. You can read with your eyes what God is doing, and you just have to trust and say this is God's plan of what He's doing. I can argue with God, or you can be like the man back in Romans 9 where Paul says, who are you, oh man, to talk back to God? We can talk back to God and say, I don't like the way you're doing this, but then what's, what's the alternative? If you say, God, I don't like the way you're doing this, what's the alternative? Do it my way. Okay, you idolater. Do it, do it. I'm just, you're just playing the game here. If you don't like the way God has set something up, you have one of two choices. You can say, God, I don't like it and rebel, or you can say, God, I can accept it and submit. And sometimes it takes a while for your heart to get wrapped around that. Okay? So, there's going to be a future day of a massive salvation of ethnic Jews who will believe in Jesus as their Messiah. But during Paul's day, and we could possibly say over the past 2,000 years, we're not seeing massive Jews come to faith in Christ, are we not? Right now, like for the past 2,000 years, have we seen a lot of Jewish people come to faith in Christ? I mean, there's... There's still kind of a chosen remnant by grace. Incrementally, the Jewish people are coming. Oh, by the way, this is an announcement that you guys will get first off. Okay, so the first Sunday in June, we're going to have a guest speaker who has a ministry to the Jewish people that's going to come and preach and talk about a ministry we have to, to Israel. So um, he was, he's going to be here on that Sunday morning. That's the first Sunday in June. So... It'll kind of be a good. He'll, he'll probably talk more about this in, in, in the ministry he has. But anyway, for the past 2,000 years, you really haven't seen a massive number of Jews coming to faith in Christ like you've seen Gentiles. But God says, listen, there's going to come a day when the hardening will be lifted and it will no longer be a remnant, but it will be a large number. But before Paul gets to that, he's going to give this analogy of the olive branch. Okay. Now, what is the olive branch? It used to be a restaurant in Colorado Springs, but <laughs> what's, what's an olive branch in your mind? Like, like what is an olive, olive branch? It's a, a, branch a branch of olives. Okay. Now, why would Paul use an olive branch? Okay. Number one, it was probably the most common recognizable tree in the Middle East during the time of Paul's writing. But here's the point. Israel as a nation in the Old Testament was often symbolically listed as an olive tree, God's chosen olive tree. Okay? So he's going to give an analogy. Now, don't, don't try to get into the horticultural aspect of this and get into the plants. And Paul's giving an analogy here. He's not, he's not giving us a gardening lesson per se. He's giving us an analogy, okay? So let's read um, in verses 16 and 24 this analogy of the olive branch, okay? All right, verse 16. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, 
so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, Gentile, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are Gentile, I'm putting that to help you understand. If you are Gentile, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even if they... If they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Okay, what in the world is Paul talking about here? A lump of dough and an olive tree and a wild shoot. and Let's break this down. First of all, he says in verse 16, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, the whole is the whole lump. Okay, what's the lump of dough that he's talking about? The lump of dough stands for the Jewish people as a whole. Who were the first fruits of the Jewish people? The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? And so what Paul's saying in verse 17, he's talking to... He's talking to both Jews and Gentiles, but he's kind of talking to the Gentiles saying, listen, you guys are being kind of prideful, thinking that you're all that, that you're coming to faith in Christ while God's rejected the Jews. Just remember where you came from, Gentiles. You would not have a faith in Christ if there was no Jewish people. How did the Jewish people come into being? God chose Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, David, all the way down to Jesus. If there's no Israel, there's no Jesus, there's no salvation. So Gentiles, don't think that you have nothing to do with the Jewish people. You owe everything to them because your salvation and your Messiah came through the Jewish people. Okay, so what he's saying in verse 17 is, Paul makes the point, it's a tragic, it's tragic that the Jews who were the f- recipients of God's many blessings have been cut off from those blessings. Okay, how? Well, it was through God's hardening and also through their own belief. The natural branches, the, the, the ethnically Jewish people, not the remnant chosen by grace, but this large number of ethnic Jewish people, they've been cut off from believing in Jesus because God purposely did that. He's blinded them. He's hardened them. Okay. But you Gentiles, you're not even Jewish. You're not even part of this whole Old Testament story. You're not even part of the olive tree. What does Paul call them? You're, you're a, a wild olive shoot. You're kind of like over here uh, off to the side. And what has God done to you? God has taken you Gentiles as pagan outsiders, and He's grafted you into the olive tree so that you can receive all the blessings of what it means to be God's people, the very blessings that the Jews were cut off of. You understand what Paul's saying? The olive tree was Israel. The Gentiles were not part of that olive tree. 
But God has chosen to save the Gentiles as well as the Jews and to graft them back into that root system that goes all the way back to the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's the point. Would there be a New Testament without an Old Testament? Would you have salvation if there were no Jewish people in the Old Testament? We owe everything as Gentiles, and I'm assuming all of us are Gentiles. We owe everything as Gentiles to the Jewish people and what God has done for them and to them in the Old Testament to bring about Jesus. And Paul says, Gentiles don't get a big head. God, First of all, God didn't have to save you. You're a wild olive shoot. He, he could have left you there as a wild olive shoot, not even saved you. He could have just stayed with Israel. And just because God's blinding this large number from coming to faith in Christ, don't get a big head. Now, Jeremiah eleven sixteen, I told you that the olive branch... God, God often called Israel the olive branch in the Old Testament. The Lord once called you a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit. But with the roar of a great tempest, He will set fire to it and its branches will be consumed. So here's the point. God is not obligated to save either Jew or Gentile. Is God obligated to save either one of us? As a result, save Gentiles, that is us, need to be in reverent fear that God did save us by grace. What does Paul say there? He says there in verse 20, that's true, those branches, God did harden those, those ethnic Jews, but look, verse 20, that's true, they were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. Gentile, don't get a big head that God saved you and somehow is not saving the Jews at the time of Paul's writing. Okay. Now here's where we need to understand the differences and different views of theology. Okay. How many olive trees are there in this analogy? One. There's one olive tree. Okay. Now there's wild shoots that have been grafted in, and then the Jews are grafted back, but there's one olive tree. So here's the overall point of this analogy. There is one olive tree whose roots are firmly planted in the Old Testament and whose branches include both Jews and Gentiles. The Gentiles were the wild olive shoots grafted in and the Jews, the natural branches, were saved by grace. Now, back when we did the book of Revelation, some of you were here for that. I, I introduced you to what I do not hold to, but what some Christians hold to, and that is dispensational theology. Contrary to dispensational theology, which I do not hold to, um, I believe there's only one people of God, the church, comprised of both Jew and Gentile, one olive tree comprised of both saved Jews and Gentiles. Very fine Christians who disagree that are dispensationalists would say, no, God has two different plans. He's got a plan for the Jews. He's got a plan for the Gentiles. Those are two different plans. But what Paul here says, it seems to me to say, is that you're not saved unless you're part of the olive tree. And what's the olive tree? It's one tree made up of both Jews and Gentiles. But where did the tree come from? Where's the tree planted in? The soil of the Old Testament. In other words, the olive tree would not exist unless the Old Testament existed. So this one olive tree 
started back in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Old Testament, and then now it's one tree and it's got both branches of Jews and Gentiles. Now, the Jews were already part of that because of their background, but they came to faith in Christ. Gentiles are over here as some wild olive shoot. They were grafted in, but you still have one tree with both Jew and Gentile. It's still one tree. Okay? So salvation is always by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Am I making sense? Are you guys tracking? Okay. Now, let's get to another controversial part of this passage of Scripture that some people misunderstand as well. Okay, so let's go to this whole idea that all Israel will be saved. What does it mean that all Israel will be saved? Let's look at verses 25 through 32. 25 through 32. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I'm talking to the Gentiles there, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial, it's a key word there, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, Gentiles, but now have received mercy because of their, the Jewish disobedience, so to they, now, the, Gentile, the Jews, have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, Gentiles, they, the Jews, may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, so that he may have mercy on all. Okay, what was the question? If God has hardened this large number of Jews, is that hardening going to last forever? And what does Paul say there in verse 25? It's partial. When is the hardening going to be lifted? When the fullness of the Gentiles comes, comes in. Okay. We need to be careful with what this text tells us and what this text doesn't tell us. So, God's hardening of ethnic Jews is only partial and will come to an end one day. Okay? Here's the point. Going all the way back to chapter 9 with the doctrine of predestination. Before the foundation of the world, God has chosen both a definite and fixed number of both individual Jews and Gentiles. On his sovereign timetable, those predestined, both Jews and Gentiles, will come to faith so that there will be the full inclusion of the Gentiles. What would be that? That final number of saved Gentiles. Whatever that final number is that God has ordained. And then there will be the full inclusion of the Jews. That final number of Jews that God has ordained to be saved. And, and that makes up the one olive tree. Okay? Now, the question we've got to ask is, what does it mean when Paul says there in verse 26, all Israel will be saved? 
does Paul say every single Israelite will be saved? Go back to Romans chapter 9, verse 6 for a moment. How did Paul start this entire argument? Romans chapter 9, verse 6. What does Paul say? It is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. What's Paul saying? Just because you're an ethnic Jew does not mean you belong to the true people of God. So, when Paul says all Israel will be saved, does this or can this mean one day every single Jewish person without exception will be saved, even those who never profess faith in Christ alone. There are some people that believe that. There are some people that believe just by virtue of, like in the end times, in the end times, whether you believe in Jesus or not, as long as if you're an ethnic Jew, you will be saved by virtue of your ethnicity. You don't even have to have conscious faith in Christ, but by your ethnicity. Now, based upon everything that Paul has taught us, does anybody have salvation without conscious faith in Christ? No. It has to be conscious faith in Christ. Okay? What it means is, when he says all Israel will be saved, all of the elect Jews, those predestined before the foundation of the earth, will be saved. He doesn't say every single Jew will be saved. He just says all Israel. So it's a corporate understanding. All Israel, all those whom God has chosen to be saved as ethnic Jews will be saved. That's what all Israel means. Not every single Jewish person, but all the fixed number of those whom God has predestined. Okay? So there's going to be a future time when ethnic Jews will be saved by faith in Christ. What's going on during Paul's day? What's happening? There is what? Just a remnant. So during Paul's day, is there, is there the full inclusion? Or is there what he would say, all Israel? Is all Israel or the full inclusion happening during Paul's time? What's happening? He says it's a remnant. And we could, we could probably guess today, because we don't know God's secret things, this, is, this remnant is probably still what's operating right now. Has the full inclusion of the Jews happened yet? No, because what has to happen first? The full inclusion of the Gentiles. Okay, now if there's a full inclusion of Jews and full inclusion of Gentiles, that to me seems like there's a fixed number. Like there's a number that it has to, whenever that number gets to that number, it happens. Well, how do you have a fixed number unless God's chosen people for the foundation of the earth to be saved and there's a fixed number of both Jews and Gentiles? So here's what we know and what we don't know. And this is where people get into trouble. Trying to say what the Bible doesn't say and trying to say, make make the Bible say things that it doesn't. What do we we not know? What, What does Paul tell us? We don't know when this will happen, do we? Does Paul ever give us a timing here? Does God ever give us the timing? Just that what? The partial hardening will happen 
when the full, the full inclusion of the Jewish people to be saved will happen after the full inclusion of the Gentile people. We know that there's going to be a full inclusion of Jews. There's going to be a full inclusion of Gentiles. We just don't know when it's going to happen. Has it happened yet? Most scholars believe it will happen during the final days. How long? What was that, Jerry? The final days, the last days. Okay, so that's what we don't know. We don't know when this is going to happen. What do we do know? We do know that this salvation will be faith in Jesus by grace alone, not by merely being an ethnic Jew or adhering to Judaism. There's one olive tree composed of both Jew and Gentile that have come to faith in Christ alone. Now, let me just ask you a question. Way back in September when we started this, what was the thesis of the book of Romans? Go back to Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16, Paul gives you the thesis of the entire book and tells you what this, book, what this letter is going to be about. What does he tell you in Romans 1.16? He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and then to the Greek or then to the Gentile. So from the beginning of Romans to here, Paul has made the argument that God's power of salvation is going to come to both Jews and Gentiles. It will be by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, based upon God's sovereign choice alone. When this all works out, how this all works out, those are questions sometimes the Bible doesn't have, answer. A lot of times, here's what we have to deal with when we do Bible study. We deal with the what. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what Paul says. Here's what the Bible teaches. And then our mind says, well, when? God doesn't tell you. Why? God may not tell you. How does it all work out? God may not tell you. But I want to know when, how, and why. And God says, you don't need to know when, how, and why. Just trust me that it will happen, or this is how I've done it. Now, that could be a cop-out, but if God wanted us to know, He would let us know. But He hasn't. Now, Paul gives some Old Testament points here to talk about this end times conversion of the Jews. He says there in verse 26, the deliverer will come from Zion who will banish ungodliness from Jacob. That, that's a direct quotation from Isaiah 59, 20 through 21. And a redeemer will come to Zion. This is interesting. Let's spend some time. Notice how Paul changes the, the scripture here to fit, his, to fit the, 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 new, the new understanding of this. A redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob to turn from their transgression, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that's upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, out of the mouth of your offspring and out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth forevermore. Okay, prophecy, Old Testament. I'm going to send a redeemer, redeemer, uh, I'm going to send a redeemer who will come to Zion. Can I, can I erase this? Too late. <laughs> There, in the Old Testament, God says, I'm going to send a redeemer that's going to come to Zion. 
Okay, what is Zion in the, what's that a prophecy of? Jerusalem or Israel. I'm going to send a Redeemer to. Okay. In the Old Testament, that's pointing to Jesus. Where did Jesus come from? He came from heaven to His people. He came from heaven to Zion. What does Paul say? How does Paul quote that? The deliverer will come from or out of Zion. Okay, where's Zion now? It's heaven. The heavenly Zion. So, Jesus will come again to redeem His people, Paul says. And Paul's here, not that this doesn't apply to Gentiles, it does. When Jesus comes back, He's not just coming back for the Jews, but Paul's specifically making an application here saying, listen, in the Old Testament, God made a prophecy that a Redeemer would come to Zion. From the lineage of David, Jesus the Messiah would come to His people in Israel. At the end times, Jesus is not going to come to Jerusalem per se to save His people like He did the first time. He's going to come out of the heavenly Zion to earth to redeem that large number of Jews to save us, both Jew and Gentile. But the, the, the application here is to the Jewish people. But Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9-10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turn from God, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son. Where is the Son coming? From heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Where is Jesus going to come from? Heaven. To return to earth to save both Jews and Gentiles on that final day. In verse 28, Paul is summarizing the points he made all the way pretty much through chapter 10. That Israel failed to receive Christ as their Savior. They're blind. They're, they're unbelieving. But yet in verse 29... Paul says God's gifts and calling are irrevocable. Now, what is irrevocable? Does yours, does yours have irrevocable? What's, what word do you guys have? If something's irrevocable, what does that mean? Can't be changed, can't be taken away, can't be altered. So if God made a solemn covenant, can He back out of it? Okay. So God made a promise to Israel and that promise will be fulfilled. Now, does that mean that every single Jewish person will be saved? No. Question is, who is a recipient of this irrevocable calling? The elect remnant by grace and those large number of Jews saved in the end times. So, Paul has been talking about two groups, the, the elect remnant by grace and the full inclusion of the, of the Jews at the end. Those two groups will make up 
all Israel will be saved. Okay? So, regardless of how you slice it, here's the point. Of all Israel will be saved. The final fixed number of individual Jews predestined before time will infallibly come to faith in Christ. Why? God has decreed it. And what has God done in choosing and calling? It is irrevocable. It can't be canceled. It can't be annulled. It can't be taken back. That's why we keep going back to chapter 9, verse 6. Has God's word failed? No. Not every single Jew will be saved, but only those chosen by grace. Now, in verse 30, Paul again turns his guns back on the Gentiles and says, Listen, don't get a big head. At one time, you were disobedient and you received mercy. Okay, you go back to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. Paul talks about how disobedient the Gentiles were. You pagan outsider Gentiles were disobedient pagans not deserving of salvation, but you received mercy. So don't get a big head because you didn't, you didn't deserve it, but God gave you mercy. And then Paul says, okay, in the same way, right now, I don't have the drawing over here anymore, but right now, these hardened Jews, they're just like you used to be. They're disobedient. But one day, they're going to receive mercy the way that you've received mercy when that full inclusion comes at the end times so that there will be one olive branch. Now, Paul addresses this in Ephesians 2. He talks about the um, Gentiles. In Ephesians 2, 12-14, he says, Remember that you, Gentiles, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Gentiles, you had no clue about the Old Testament. You had no clue about the Messiah. You were steeped in your pagan idolatry, and you did not know the Ten Commandments from anything. You were outside the commonwealth of Israel. You were pagan. You were disobedient. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Who's the us, both one? Jew and Gentile, both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Paul says, listen, Gentiles, you were pagan outsiders and God showed you grace. Right now, God's dealing with the Jews as if they're acting like pagan outsiders, but one day they're going to be saved by grace. When your full inclusion comes and their full inclusion comes, there will be one olive tree, there will be one body, there will be one people of God composed of both Jew and Gentile. I'm not losing my, point, my place here. Now, verse 32, Paul says... For God has consigned, does anybody have a different word besides consigned? Like imprisoned, maybe? Consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all? Okay. Let's talk about all here. Does all mean all? Y'all. Does all mean all? Okay. 
let me ask you a question. For God has consigned all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all. Is God going to have mercy on all? How do you define all? If, is God going to have mercy? Does all mean every single person who's ever lived, God's going to have mercy on? So does all mean, in this context, you've got two choices for all. Does all mean every single person? Or contextually, who's the all that Paul's been talking about all throughout Romans 9 through 11? The elect who? Jews and Gentiles as collective, a collective group. Okay? So, in verse 32, some have made the theological error to suggest that Paul is teaching universalism. Okay, what's universalism? It's the idea that everybody will eventually be saved. Is that true? That's a heresy that would nullify every, everything else Paul teaches. What's Paul's point? What's Paul's point here? Paul's point is this. The Jews had blessings first as God's people, while the Gentiles were outside the covenant in their pagan disobedience. At the time of Paul's writing... God is showing the Gentiles mercy. At the time of Paul's writing, the Jews are collectively acting in disobedience like the pagan Gentiles, and one day they too will receive mercy. So the all here is not a verse to prove that every single person is going to be saved. It just means that Paul's making a comparison contrast, saying, listen, right now God's showing mercy to the elect Gentiles who are coming to faith. At a point in the future, God's going to show mercy to the elect Jews that are coming to faith so that at God's appointed time, all those who were predestined to be saved, both Jews and Gentiles, they will be saved. Does that make sense? Okay. Because in Romans 1 through 3, as Paul's been doing all throughout the book of Romans, he's argued that both Jews and Gentiles are under sin. They deserve wrath. There's no distinction when it comes to sin. And yet God's plan from before the foundation of the world was to predestine individuals, both Jews and Gentiles, to salvation so that there would be one people of God, one olive tree, who both share God's mercy. So, in verse 12, Paul predicted what? the full inclusion of the Jews. In verse 25, Paul predicted the full inclusion of the Gentiles. This does not mean that every single Jew and every single Gentile will be saved. The full inclusion means a fixed number that God has determined. And when that number comes of the fixed Gentiles, the fullness, and the fixed Jews, the fullness. This is my personal opinion. Once that fixed number comes, that's when Jesus comes back. When that last person on earth trusts Christ, that's supposed to trust Christ, is when Jesus will come back. That you have the full number of Jews, the full number of Gentiles, 
the fullness. Now, the question then does, okay, how does the book of Revelation show us this? How does the book of Revelation point us to this end vision? It does in very wonderful ways. Revelation 5 is probably one of my favorite chapters in Revelation. It's when Jesus is the lion lamb in the throne room, and he reaches and grabs the scroll out of the God the Father's hands, and then he opens the scroll, and they sing a new song, and this is what they sing to Jesus. Okay, Revelation 5, 9 through 10. Worthy, they sing a new song saying, Worthy are you, they're talking to Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Where? From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God that they shall reign on the earth. People for God, out of or from what? Every tribe, language, people, and nation. That's John's way of saying both Jews and Gentiles, the full inclusion of Jews and Gentiles, every tribe, language, nation, and people, everybody whom God has saved, regardless of their ethnicity, whether Jew or Gentile, they will be before the throne worshiping Jesus. Is this going to be a small number or a large number? (laughs) Yep. Let's put it this way. We don't know what the number, but we know it's going to be the full inclusion of Jews and Gentiles, whatever that is. But let's go to Revelation 7, 9 through 10. John sees another vision. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Sound like a big number? From where? Every nation from all tribes and peoples and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So here's the point. Let's just bring this all down to reality. Before the foundation of the world, God chose people to be saved, both Jew and Gentile. And on that final day, on God's timetable, there will be the full inclusion of Jews and the full inclusion of Gentiles together as one olive tree. And the way John describes it in Revelation is every tribe, tongue, nation, and people worshiping before the Lamb of God. Now, how the Jews come to faith in Christ and when that full inclusion happens... (coughs) The Bible doesn't tell us. We just know it's going to happen one day. So we have hope for ethnically Jewish people who've rejected their Messiah that it's not permanent, but there will be a massive conversion of ethnic Jews at some point in the future bringing in in their full inclusion. Just don't know when that is. Right now, there's a partial hardening that God is doing. You may not like it, but that's God's choice. And once He removes that partial hardening, they'll be able to see their Messiah and come to faith in Him. Right now, there's an elect remnant by grace. The rest are hardened. Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. But on that final day, there'll be one church, one people of God, one marriage supper of the Lamb, one people, one olive tree, from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, Jew and Gentile together, 
worshiping Jesus. Okay. Questions, comments, or dare I say, snide remarks. You guys knew that. Questions on Romans chapters 9, 10, 11. I know I'm going to save the very end, the doxology for next week because I think it's, I want to spend some more time on it. Questions on Romans 9, 10, 11. This has been difficult. Thanks for sticking with me because this has been very, very difficult. Next week, I told you we're going to get to the practical. How do you live out your Christianity? Well, Paul had to give us 11 chapters of theology before he gets to how you live it out. Well, there's a lot of Gentiles coming right now. Well, the point is that they're having the chance right now. There's a lot. I mean, if you look at the world, who's coming to faith in Christ? Chinese, Indians, South America, Africa. I mean, all over the world, non-Jewish people are coming to faith. And I mean, you see the movements of God around the world. It's not really among the Jewish people. It's among non-Jewish people. So for the past 2,000 years, the, the missionary movement has gone to non-Jewish unreached people groups, and they're coming to faith in Christ. So the Gentiles are coming to faith in large numbers. The, Gentile, the Jews are not because of this partial hardening to make them jealous. Here was my question. I, I, didn't, I didn't bring it up because I thought it would be too confusing. I didn't want to confuse you, but now that we're done, I can confuse you. I had my own personal question I don't know the answer to, so it's always good. My question was, based upon the hardening, to make them jealous. Where was it? Oh, here's my question. If they, these Jews are blinded and hardened, would they even care that the Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ? Would they be jealous? Why would they even want Jesus as their Messiah if they're blinded to it? So my question is, why would they be jealous if they're blinded? I don't know the answer to that. I just trust God. That's what He's doing. And that's what He says is the purpose of it. Because I think if you were blind and hard, you wouldn't care. If you, you wouldn't care. You wouldn't sit there and be like, you know what, I'm really angry and, and upset as a Jew that these Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus. What would you think? I could care less about Jesus, and I don't really care what they're doing. I'm not jealous. Because I'm blind and hard. So I don't know how all that works out. That's a question I have that maybe some of you that are smarter can give me the answer. Help me figure that out. Or maybe I'm just not supposed to know the answer to that. Questions? Well, during Paul's writing of this, there was still a very heavy Jewish presence in that area of the world with the synagogues. To this day, most eth- are, do you know of many religious ethnic Jews besides maybe Ben Shapiro or others that you, that you hear about? Most ethnic Jews are pretty secular. You think of people like Steven Spielberg or you know, people that are um, 
Jewish by ethnicity that aren't really religious. They're very secular. Um, and so in today's world, there's very few really zealous or religious. There, there are some, I and mean, there's Orthodox Jews, but for the most part, most ethnic Jews around the world, maybe not around the world, but in America at least, most ethnic Jews in America, like Bernie Sanders, he's, he's a Jew. Doesn't have any real belief in, in God or the things of the Bible. So there's a lot of secularism among Jewish people today. And um, anyway, I'm, I'm curious to see um, what Stephen says when he comes in June uh, about the mission to, to the Jewish people. So we have to wait a few months for that. Any other questions? What time is it? Ooh, you got 12 minutes. Yeah, there's the old saying, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And, and I used to believe that, but here's what I say now. God said it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. So, I mean, I want to believe it, but God said it, that settles it. Now, we should believe it, but whether I believe it or not, if God said it, it is. <laughs> so, But yeah, you're right, Jerry. There's some things that God just, like I said, there's a lot of what in the Bible, but not how, why or when, that God doesn't give us all the answers to. All right, next week will be a little lighter. A little, we've done through the heavy stuff through Romans. We've made it over the heavy, 9, 10, 11. Now we get into the how do you practically live out your Christianity, which should be a whole lot more practical and less theological. All right, what? All right, let's pray. Yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you for the for your word. I know it's been it's been hard for me to walk through Romans 9, 10, 11. And Lord, I pray it's made sense. Um, I guess when we come through this, we want to be in awe that you saved us in the first place because you didn't have to. We as Gentiles never want to be prideful or arrogant because, Lord, we owe so much to your covenant promises you made to the Old Testament people, and, and Jesus was through a Jewish lineage. And so, Lord, our our salvation is planted firmly in the, the soil of, of the Old Testament promises. And we would not even have salvation if it were not for the Jewish people. And so, Lord, help us to not be prideful. Help us to be thankful that you saved us by grace and help us to desire the salvation of Jewish people, Lord, that their eyes would be open, that, Lord, that partial hardening, we know it's your timetable when you take that partial hardening off, but, Lord, we pray that you would do that so that they would see their Messiah and come to faith in Jesus as their Savior. And we know that one day that will happen, but, Lord, we don't know when, but we trust in your, your sovereign plan over all things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.